I must confess that this morning is kind of a, a sad morning for me um, because I've been privileged to bring the message to you for the past six weeks, and it has definitely been something that has grown me uh, exponentially. It has been a great privilege, honor, and joy to be entrusted with the Word of God, even to this wonderful church family. I know that over the past few weeks, I've preached some things that might seem difficult to receive or with a certain aspect of strength behind it, but I just want everybody to know it's out of love. When I look at the book of Ephesians and I think about the Apostle Paul, I think about a man who worked and toiled with all God's strength, as Colossians puts it, to minister to those in his charge. And as we look at the book of Ephesians, and as a minister examines the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul can't help but rub off on the individual studying the text. And as I read Ephesians, I see the zeal of this Apostle for the church in Ephesus, his love for this church, his desire for this church to stand strong in Christ, to know Christ, to have put off an old man, to put on a new and to stand as lights in a dark place, to be fully equipped with the whole armor of God, to stand strong against the principalities and powers and wickedness in the world, to be able to stand strong in an evil day. And as I've worked through this, as I've processed through this, my heart has been that of the Apostle Paul for you guys, at least to a degree. My desire is for Rock Valley Bible Church to be strong, courageous, bold, solid, and I believe that we are. But I also know that the Word of God always compels us deeper, does it not? And isn't that even what sanctification is? We've been sanctified, we've been set aside, but there's this process in which we go deeper. We grow holier. We grow stronger. We grow more devoted. And my heart and my hope is that that would be what is seen and remembered in the preaching that I've been privileged to do these past six weeks. That it has been out of love and out of a desire to see every one of us strengthened and encouraged in the Lord as lights in a dark place in an evil generation. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to our text. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verse 1 through 21. And I know that that's a lot, but because the six weeks are over and I don't know the next time that I'm going to be able to bring the Word, I want there to be continuity in the passage. I don't want to begin and have to leave off in a certain spot when the thought is still progressing. So we'll push through that this morning together. Well, let's read the text, Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 21. Therefore... 
be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning before we begin to examine the passage. Father, We are a needy people in need of your mercy, your grace, your love, your power, your truth, your correction, your conviction. We need you every moment, Lord, and we need your word. Strengthen us to live in accordance with your word to follow Christ with our lives, knowing this, that we have come from darkness to light, to shine as lights in a dark world, not to be as a lamp put under a basket, but a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, preaching the truth from a foundation that cannot be shaken. Help us, O God. Help us to stand in the truth, to walk in the truth, to love according to the truth. Teach us your word this morning as it is intended to be understood. 
Grace us with eyes to see and ears to hear. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're going to see right off the bat a contrast. The very first thing we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 is to be imitators of God as beloved children. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What is the therefore, therefore? Having said all the prior things, understanding what it is to be new, to have put off the old, to be renewed, understanding what it is to walk as a Christian, therefore do it. Therefore do it. Be imitators of God as beloved children. We are the children of God, and we do as Christ said, I do as I see my Father do. And the Scripture calls us to do as we see our Father do, to do as we've seen our Christ do and lay out before us, and to walk in love. We walk in holiness, we walk in uprightness, we walk in integrity, but we walk in love. Even as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, no greater love is anyone than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. But what about the Christian who lays down his life for his God? Listen to these words. We are to be imitators of God as his children, walking in love as Christ loved us, and he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Think about Romans chapter 12. We are called by the apostle even there to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. This idea of a fragrant offering, this sacrifice to God, it's a life that is laid down for the cause of Christ because it is the greatest thing that anyone can do. It is the ultimate form of worship to God the Father for an individual to lay down their life, to pick up their cross, and to follow Christ. And this is a fragrant offering. It is likened to Christ's sacrifice here. Christ gave himself up a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We give ourselves up, our lives up, as a sacrifice to God. And it's a fragrant offering, a pleasing aroma unto the Lord. It's pleasing in God's sight when the Christian makes this his resolve. And truly, this is what distinguishes a Christian from someone who's not. The only way to be born again is to be born again. The old is gone and the new has come. We lay down our life. But then there's the contrary to that. There's the opposite of that. It's walking in sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness. Paul says these things must not even be named among you. Already we're seeing in the passage a contrast being made. And we're going to see that throughout the text. The contrast between darkness and light. The blessed reality that the Christian has been brought from darkness to light and is empowered and emboldened to walk in that light. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. 
For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. We have a list of a few things, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking or crude jesting. This contextually is right in line with the immorality. It's, it could be sexual jesting. These things are not to be so in the Christian life. A Christian is not somebody who walks in immorality. A Christian is not somebody who walks with a filthy mouth, slanderous and blasphemous. A Christian is not somebody who is immoral or impure. Because Christians have an inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. But people who practice such things do not. Those are sobering words. I think oftentimes we view sin or certain sins as a small thing. Yet we serve a God with transcendent glory. A God in whom the living creatures and the elders fall down and say day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The God in whom Isaiah in chapter 6 said, Woe is me, pronouncing a judgment on himself, for I am undone. So great a God, so mighty of a Father, calls us to walk in such a way that imitates him. Listen to verse 6. Let no one deceive you. No one. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, when it's talking about not letting anyone deceive you with empty words, it's those who would deceive in opposition to the truth of the word of God as laid forth by the apostles. It is this idea of somebody telling you, your sins are okay, we all do it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace anyhow, so why don't we just eat, drink, and be merry? Remember we talked a few weeks ago about the Nicolaitans. This is how they would have viewed it. Those who practiced the works of the Nicolaitans, this hyper-grace mentality, or this idea that even sin is just a small thing. It can be tolerated. But it's a flattery or it's a tolerance from a false brother or somebody who would teach error. It's this idea of coddling individuals in their sin and telling them everything will be okay. The other day I was driving through a particular town not far from here and there was a church with a, a rainbow flag. And their, their idea is that we want LGBTQ to come and we want people of other religions to come and fellowship with us. Now, here's the thing. As Christians, we would say, we in fact want people of other religions to come to church, hear and hear the gospel, and we would want LGBTQ community to come and, and hear the gospel. There's a difference, though. We want them here so they can hear the gospel and be transformed. 
Deceivers and empty talkers want them there so they can coddle them and congratulate them for their sin, accept it, and never expect a change. And I'm afraid, and I've said this before, that Western Christianity is the most tolerant form of Christianity in the world today in the way of supporting and coddling sin. But Paul says, let no one deceive you. Don't let them trick you. And they're going to do this with empty words. Why are they empty? They have no power. They're void of strength. They're void of authority because they're not biblical. Let no one deceive you with these empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. In other words, this sexual immorality, the adultery, the slander, the tongue, the wretchedness, all these things that are sinful and impure in the sight of God, The wrath of God will come upon those who practice things. And as Romans says, who also give approval to such things. Remember, they not only practice these things, but they give approval of those who practice such things. They should rather weep and mourn and lament over their sin. Instead, they engage in it and they celebrate it. But the wrath of God is coming. Now listen to this. The wrath of God isn't just future tense. Right now, the wrath of God is upon the sons of disobedience. Right now, at this very moment, the wrath of God is on the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God is upon those who live in error, who walk in contrary ways to the kingdom of God. Psalm 7 verse 11 says that God is angry with the wicked every day. That means every day. Every day, all day, God is angry with wickedness. This is the scripture. Then 2 Peter 2.9 goes on to say that God knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Those who are in darkness need to be called to light. Those who are in darkness need the light of Christ. Why? Because even right now they are under the wrath of God. Right now, God is keeping the ungodly and the unrighteous under punishment. But then there's an even more sobering reality. Not only is God able, and in fact does keep the ungodly under punishment, but for those who never repent and for those who do not come to a knowledge of the truth of God and walk in it, Revelation 21, verse 8 says, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now listen. We go back to Ephesians chapter 2. We've cross-referenced this quite a bit. There's a once and a were. This is our hope in God. And you were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind over my nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy. That's why we're here today. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved through faith, and not of our own works, lest any man should boast. But by the grace of the living God. And then Paul reiterates that truth here in verse 7 and 8. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with them because they're an heir in darkness. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. And again, here it is, walk as children of light. Well, let's look back at verse 7. Do not become partners with them. This is a warning not to join in with any individuals or any movement or any type of people who walk in error or contrary to the word and will of God. Do not go and hang out with the people you used to hang out with to do the things you used to do. Don't let these people rub off on you. What does the scripture say? Bad company corrupts good morals. Don't become partners with them. Don't don't put yourself around certain people or certain movements or certain things that stand for things that are contrary to the word and the will of God. Do not surround yourself with people who won't further your sanctification. Surround yourself with people who will challenge you, grow you, love you, strengthen you, and seek to see your sanctification progress. But even further, do not be a partner with them in the sense that those who accept such people take part in their sins. It's another spiritual truth from the Holy Scripture. We are to distance ourselves from unrighteousness. Not in the sense that we go out of the world and we don't evangelize and we don't share the gospel with the lost. We certainly do those things. That is the call of the Christian but we don't have fellowship with the world and we don't have fellowship with worldly ways. At one time we were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. There's some key things here. At one time you were, but now you are. That's something that we have to realize, church. We who are in Christ Jesus are not darkness. We are light. We once were darkness. We once were dead in our trespasses and sins. But you can't both be darkness and light at the same time. You can't straddle the fence. It's it's one or the other. Either you have put off the old, you've been renewed and put on the new, and therefore you are light in the Lord, or you are still in darkness. But you're not both. And for those who name the name of the Lord, the reality is it must be that at one time we were, but are no longer. 
Rather, we are light in the Lord, and so we walk as children of the light. The Scriptures tell us that anybody who names the name of the Lord is to walk in the light as Christ is in the light. And again, it says that we are to walk in the way in which Christ walked. Taken from 1 John 2.6 and 1 John 1.7. Walk in the light as Christ is in the light. And walk in the way in which Christ walked. This is the holy command of Scripture. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. It's not found in darkness. It's not found in falsehood. The fruit of light is found in everything that is good and right and true. And what is good and right and true? Christ commands. The life that he called us to live. The standard that he called us to. The love. The self-abandonment. Walk as children of the light. Because the fruit of light is found in everything that is good and right and true. And verse 10, listen to this. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We are called right here. It says try. Strive for it. Go after it. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is important. Discernment is massive in the Christian faith. It is discernment that shows us what error is, what God's will is, how we should live, how we should walk, how we should talk, how we should think, how we should view the world around us. It gives us a a, a worldview. The only way we can discern What is pleasing to the Lord is through his word. The capacity for discernment comes from the word of God. Nowhere else. Discernment isn't some spiritual experience in which we walk into a room and we think that we have everything understood or everything figured out. We, we, we can see something and we have some spiritual experience and so we're, we're given some kind of spiritual discernment about matters. That, that's not real discernment. Now, to be sure, discernment is spiritual and the Word of God is spiritually discerned. But discernment is to know the Word of God. It's what shows us how we're supposed to live. It's what shows us how we're supposed to view the world. It's what shows us error. It's what shows us truth. So when we try to discern and when we strive to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, when we make decisions as to how to live, how to talk, what to support, what to engage in in our life, we discern those things through the truth of God's word, and we make sure that everything in our life lines up with the word of God. And we are to seek this discernment. Then when this discernment is fully understood, listen to what he says in verse 11. It's a two-part command here. 
one to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, and the second to expose it. We expose darkness when we understand light. We expose darkness only when we were able to discern the truth of God's word. And this is, again, this isn't some spiritual hard thing to do. You want to discern? You want discernment? Read the Bible. And, and that's how discernment comes. It, it, it's, not some, it's not Gnosticism. It's not some special revelation. It's, just, it's right here. But Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And when you have discernment, this begins to take place. You're compelled. Now, Paul, I want to make mention of this. Paul says to expose the darkness. Expose unfruitful works. If we were to read through the Pauline epistles, we would see that almost as much of Paul's ministry was dedicated towards calling out false teachers, those walking in error, and sin, people living in sin, as it was laying down doctrinal truths. Oftentimes these things coincide. Book after book after book, Paul is correcting. Paul is calling out those in error, those in sin. He says, expose. Take your discernment and expose. In the book of Titus, he gives the command not just to preach the word or to teach the word, but to refute those who contradict it. Now, that's not just relating to doctrine. But through the word of God, are we able to stand and encourage and strengthen and correct our brothers in Christ when we line them up with the truth of God's word? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, there's also that aspect. With discernment comes a mind of understanding. And we're called not to take part, not to be participants in unfruitful works. Anything that does not bear fruit for the kingdom of God. In other words, if we're a fig tree, we bear figs. Because a thorn tree cannot bear good fruit. A thorn tree doesn't bear anything for God. It's unfruitful. So we abide in the light as he is in the light. We come from darkness to light. And when we have the truth of God's word, when we've spiritually discerned and we've understood, we expose. Now, what does this look like? What does it look like to expose? Well, it's twofold. We expose things in the church. I'd say we take it even a step further. We'd expose things outside of the church to prevent it from coming in the church. So to expose unfruitful works of darkness would be for a believer to see that another believer is in error or in sin and to pull that believer to the side and to lovingly speak to that individual. And if that individual repents, you rejoice together because you've won your brother or sister. But if there is not repentance and if there is not correction, then the scripture tells us we bring it before the elders. In love. If then there is no repentance and there is no correction, the Bible says we then bring it before the church. Again, in love. To see restoration. We expose, 
but there's an order in which we expose. Well, that's for inside the church. What about outside the church? There's a lot outside the church, and especially right now outside the church, that is influencing the church pretty heavily. And we need to be careful of what we engage in and what we allow inside of the church. So oftentimes it's important when we see things taking place that we expose it for what it is before it really comes in. And there's a movement right now, and I'm not going to get into it, but there's a movement right now that at face value, it seems like it's a good thing to support. It really does. But if you dive in and know that this group stands for so many things contrary to the word of God, that if you were to support this movement, you would be supporting things contrary to the word of God. You see, these things have a way of coming in. And Paul says, whatever it is, whether it's a movement, whether it's a person, whether it's a doctrine, whatever it is, you expose it. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. When light is shined in darkness, it is immediately called to the light. When the truth of God's word shines upon something, immediately that object, that thing is held accountable to the word of God. It is brought to exposure. It, it is likened to going into a dark room. You, you have an idea of where an object is. You have a bright flashlight. You shine that light in that area where you know that object is, and immediately that object is illuminated. Immediately it is called to light. It cannot hide. It has immediately been exposed. Light is what causes things to be visible. And it is the light of Christ in us as a church that goes to people inside and outside of the church and shines that light in a loving way with the gospel to expose people and things for what they really are. But to what end? To win. To love. To win to Christ. To shine the light of the gospel. And that's exactly where this passage is going. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's a calling from darkness to light. Those who have the light of Christ in them are the ones who bring the light. Those who have the light of Christ in them are the light of the world, the Scripture says. And because we're the light of the world, the world needs the light. But it needs the light in the truth of the gospel. Those in, in the church need the light of the truth of the gospel. But there is a truth behind this. That it in fact needs light to expose darkness. In evangelism, oftentimes a great error is just to walk up to somebody and tell them, I just want to let you know Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. And if you just accept him, your life will be better. 
and and you can go to heaven. And and oftentimes this is a type of evangelism that takes place, and, and people don't know any better perhaps. They think that this is the gospel. But the greatest evangelism is when someone brings the light that is in them and shines it upon darkness, the truth of God's word, and lines them up with the light. You see, when darkness is lined up with light, it is shown to be the darkness that it is. And when we go to bring to somebody the error of a certain way or a certain sin, or if we're going to share the gospel, we first need to line them up with God's transcendent glory, his will, his holiness, and his standard. And we shine that light upon that darkness. Then we speak the truth in love, the truth of God's word or the gospel of our salvation. And this is when an individual is able to awake and arise from the dead so that Christ might shine on them. It's no different. It's the same across the board. Inside the church when a brother's in error or a sister's in error. Outside of the church when there's a movement that's in error or people that are in error or systems that are in error and we share the gospel and shine the light of Christ on that. Or in evangelism when we go. It's the same across the board. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead in Christ will shine on you. And guys, this is also the gospel message. Right now, listen to these words. Christ will shine on you. God sent his son on behalf of wretched people. Not perfect people. Not awesome people. Not great people. Sinful, broken, wretched, vile, hurting, down and out people Engaged in every form of sin and hypocrisy. And he sent the precious Lamb of God, who was slain from the foundation of the world, to be put on the cross of Calvary, which was considered a cursement. He was considered anathematized by the Jews. He was beaten, crushed, pierced. He died. He bled. But he also rose. Look to him in faith. Believe in him this day. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's the promise of God's word. Whoever you are, wherever you are, believe the gospel, and Christ will shine on you. Now then, Paul moves forward. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. Listen to that. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Walk as those who are wise. Don't walk foolishly. Having understood all of these things, walk as a wise man. Walk with your eyes of discernment. Walk in the truth. Walk in the light. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Listen, I was thinking about this exact verse in preparation for today. And if ever this statement seemed to be at its truest point, it's now. Why do I say that? Well, there's been periods of time in which darkness was very dark. But right now, darkness is dark everywhere, globally. 
even in our own streets. The days are evil. And if somebody can't see that when they turn on the news, they're blind. These are very strange and dark and trying times for the world. But this is the time that Christians shine. This is the time that Christians call people from darkness to light. We take advantage of this. And we call the world to account before our Holy Father. Make the best use of the time, church, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. When you see these things coming upon the world, take action. Don't go self-medicate in your house, trying to pass the time in sorrow, pleading for Christ's return. Maranatha, Lord Jesus. But rather, be filled with the Spirit of God. Be strengthened by the Spirit of God in such a way that even in this time, you in fact are a light, and you can't help but have psalms and hymns and spiritual songs welling out of you. When you see what's coming upon the world, and when you see the darkness, you rejoice that God has done a mighty work in you and those around you, and is calling you to work in the labor of His field, to labor for His harvest, Be filled with the Spirit of God, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything. And this is the sign of somebody who's been called from darkness to light. This is the sign of somebody who has something inside of them that can't stay inside of them. It wells up. This isn't just a religious command to go to church and sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs on Sunday and that be it. This is a way of life. This is a continuation throughout our week. This is something that wells up inside of an individual because they have the gospel. giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this last verse. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, if we look forward, there's another line or level of submission. It talks about wives submitting to husbands. So we could look at this contextually and say, well, there's a a pattern of submission, right? There's God and Christ, and then there's the church, and there's the leadership in the church. There's the husband and the wife and the children. Well, yeah, Paul goes there, but that particular verse says, submit to one another out of reverence for the Lord. Understanding this, that the days are evil. Understanding this, that we've been called from darkness to light. We are still being called. We are still being sanctified. We submit to one another's correction. We submit to one another's admonitions and loving rebukes. We submit to one another in servitude. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. To build up Christ's church for the glory of God. 
Church family, we've been saved to be lights in a dark world. Up to this very point, the Apostle Paul has laid down so many powerful doctrinal truths. And my prayer for us as a church is that we would not forget these six weeks. Whether or not you liked my preaching or like me is irrelevant. I pray that you would take the words from the Apostle Paul and take it deep into your heart and let the truth of this word abide in you. Please do not forget this. These are words of life. These words call us to the Christian faith. My prayer for us as a church is that we would practice what we've heard, that we would live it out, prove to be Christ's disciples, and build up God's church and be zealous to do it. Let us go to the Lord in prayer as we close this morning. Father, here we are. May we all say with the prophet Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me. Lord, I'm yours. Work in me. Let that be the cry of our hearts. My life is not mine, but yours. You bought me with a price. Therefore, I am your possession. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Let that be the cry of our hearts. May we be zealous for the gospel and zealous for every good work ready to put into practice the very things that the God and Father who commissioned us as soldiers has commanded us to do. May we not shrink back in fear over what's coming upon the world, but may we rise up as soldiers for the glory of God, knowing who we are, lights in a dark place. And may we who have been enlightened by the truth of God and his love and mercy then go and enlighten other souls that they might awake and arise from the dead. We are yours. You bought us. Use us for your glory. Train our hands for the battle. Prepare our minds for action. And may we, meet, wait, may we not be caught off guard. May we be like those virgins who filled their flasks and are ready at any time for our God and King to return and take us home. In Jesus' name, amen.